0: In the farsi we have a saying, the wheels of the power, some stuff must be crushed under that wheels. For now, it
1: is us. Welcome to Beyond Soundbites, Episode 8. I'm Jacob Mao. This episode is part of a sequence beginning in episode seven that goes beyond the sound bites of the hour by looking back at what's transpired since President Trump issued an executive order known as the travel ban in January 2017. Last episode we heard from Insaf Safu, an Iraqi Christian who spent seven years in Istanbul as a refugee in the 90s. Her story of accidentally starting a church while living undocumented and working as a janitor is a testament to God's movement in and through people who become displaced. It provides another piece of the puzzle when trying to understand the reasons for policies that shape the destinies of refugees and asylum seekers, often keeping them in long and difficult holding patterns. In this episode, we'll hear from people overseas in the midst of those holding patterns. Roman, Oge, Peter, Hannah, and Dariush, who shared their stories in previous episodes, will give us updates. In episode 4, we met Roman and Oge, a young Kurdish couple who came to believe in Jesus in Syria and crossed into Turkey to escape the war just a couple weeks before I met them back in 2017. As of January 2019, they've settled in Istanbul, along with an estimated half million other Syrians.
2: Hello, Jacob. Hello, Jacob. How are you? Thank you for uh, thank you a lot for uh, that you asking us, asking about us. We are good and we thank God. And this year God uh, opens to us some, uh, doors to serving him. Thank yeah we thank the lord this is my wife by the way <laughs> yeah uh we're thinking that we'll be here for a while in, in in turkey i don't know how how long that god will allow us to stay here but we're seeking god's will in 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 our life and um, i believe that the the time will come to leave turkey Unfortunately, we tried uh, to go and register in, to the UN, uh, but we couldn't because the, they stopped registrations, what they told us. Uh, so uh, we're still here, but we believe that if God will open the door, it will be open.
1: In terms of integration, some opportunities have opened for Syrians in Turkey. For example, 20,000 of them are registered in Turkish universities and the government has made efforts to include Syrian children in the Turkish school system. But it's a mixed bag. They fall under a system called temporary protection, a status granted by the Turkish government working in partnership with UNHCR. In early 2018, the government stated it would stop registering Syrians in Istanbul and several border provinces that host the majority of Syrians in the southeast. I was unable to clarify with Roman if this was the type of registration he and Oge were denied, but it seems likely. Reports state that Syrians unregistered for temporary protection remain unable to access healthcare and are vulnerable to deportations. Whatever Roman and Oge's hardships and sorrows that remain unknown to us may be, they have dreams. They found themselves wrapped up in exile ministry in Istanbul, just like Insof did 25 years ago.
2: I'm trying to help uh, in the ministry here visiting families sometimes uh young people you know most of the time they have their own problems like they're fighting with something they're struggling with something so i'm trying to help
1: them roman mentioned a vision he has about worship songs and then he told a story about his relationship to music
2: the first i was you know in love with a piano and guitar when i was um kid i worked for a whole summer just to buy a a guitar when i bought my first guitar you know i had no enough money to go to some institute for learning guitar or to go to some teacher so i was sitting in my home just yeah do whatever i want in the guitar you know i was so bad (laughs) but you know a lot, I mean, a lot of ideas just came to my mind. It's just, you know, um, maybe translate some songs to my native language or to improve the music in, in our language. Because, like, there is a few Christian songs in, in my language, but there is no really worship songs. So or there is maybe five, six, that's all. So what I wanted to do is just improve this and and, and let the people just feel and worship God through their, you know, their own native language. And um, for now, uh, we translated like 15 songs and uh, I pray that the time will come to make these songs recorded. Me my wife uh, will try to do this.
1: When I met Roman in person 14 months ago, we talked about our mutual interest in music. The place we were meeting had a keyboard. One day, when we had some time to kill, Roman sat down and played for half an hour while Oge and I listened.
2: This is when I made it of myself. No. Do it.
1: Woman shared something else that day, just after they told me their dramatic story of crossing the border from Syria into Turkey. It's an apt reflection for all of us as we consider the challenges of displacement and the purposes of God.
2: I consider myself as a, as a passenger or as a traveler through the earth to the real home, which is the kingdom of God. There is my home.
1: The other couple you met in earlier episodes is Peter and Hannah from episode 2. Peter came to believe in Jesus during university in Tehran. He left that country for Turkey under religious persecution as a refugee. In early 2016, he met Hannah, an American woman who was living in Turkey. A few months after their engagement, Peter's resettlement process to the U.S. got derailed by the travel ban. They married in May of 2017 in Turkey. When we met in October of that year, they were living in a furnished studio apartment, trying to maintain hope that Peter's process would move forward and they could come together to the U.S. soon. They skyped me from Turkey in early January 2019.
3: I think for most of our time here in Turkey, we had this short-term mindset of always thinking two or three months in advance, like, "Oh, in three months we'll be in the U.S. or we'll be we'll be on our way to the U.S." Um, and I. I think we just came to this point probably around the same time that as long as our like the U.S.'s current president is in office, we there's a chance that we'll be here in Turkey. And we kind of just, yeah, came to that mindset at the same time, like this, we're going to be here probably for a lot longer than we think. And so we might as well put some roots down a little bit.
1: In November of 2018, they moved into a bigger apartment where they could settle in more, and Peter's mother moved from a neighboring town just down the street from them.
0: It was kind of sad and happy at the same time. We were sad that we were thinking that the next move and the next changing the home would be to move to United States, and we would change our home and go to United States. Happy that we feel kind of a homey place. We got a bigger spot, bigger place that we can live on, and we have two bedrooms, kitchen. Comparing to our previous studio that we had, yeah, the kitchen was in the living room at the studio. I don't know the back. The shower room was in the living room. It was kind of a weird place. Everything was inside each other. So
3: part of this new season that we came into, I think. Something we had to ask ourselves was, how can we find purpose in our lives here?
1: Hannah teaches part-time for the kids of the families on their team. Peter joined a gym, started exercising regularly, and takes online theology classes. He still helps with the team's ministry as they build relationships with other communities of displaced people in the area.
0: Yeah, For Christmas, yeah, we have a lot of projects, some gift card. Distribution, set up a Christmas party for Iraqi Christian background community and have coal distribution for Syrian people. Yeah, it was really crazy and busy. What overwhelming that? Yeah, what will happen to all these refugees?
1: What is going to happen? It seems like he's made the mental adjustment to a long term mindset, but he still has his dark hours.
0: For example, sometimes when I go to bed and I cannot sleep at nights. I feel that yeah, my life is being wasted. I'm thirty-three years old. Wow. I came here when I was twenty-seven years old. Spontaneously you become judgmental on yourself. It is an unconscious thing that happens, it's an unconscious reaction that you would have that okay, God is judging me, something I did wrong. Yeah, as a Christians we know that okay, we are not paying anything, we are not paying any price, God already paid for that. Yeah. But what about in the tough situations or that your mind, your brains come to a spot that you start thinking about that. Your mind releases some chemical stuff that you become like that. Sometimes I came to in doubt. okay, is God something that we created in our minds, in our thoughts, or, or no? There is a real God. Sometimes this situation and circumstances brought me to a kind of being doubt, okay, where is God then?
1: And what about the broader situation for non-Syrians displaced in Turkey? In September, UNHCR reported about 370,000 non-Syrian people displaced in the country, the largest groups being Afghans, Iraqis, and Iranians. Until recently, these groups were able to apply for international protection with UNHCR in Turkey and thus access the remote possibility of formal resettlement. But that spark of hope wanes, as UNHCR hands more control of the registration process to the Turkish government with the goal of establishing a stronger national asylum system. There was an increase of Afghan people crossing into Turkey via Iran at the beginning of 2018, and according to officials in Kabul, a corresponding increase in deportations from Turkey back to Afghanistan. Peters' updates on his own life spilled over into stories about other refugees from these communities. For example, when I was with him, we visited a group of about 50 Afghan people in a town near to his. They were in process to resettle to Brazil. There was a sense of hope among them. But 14 months later, Peter told me, they still haven't left. The recent election of Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil, nicknamed by some the Trump of the tropics, was devastating for them. One man in the group got tired of waiting over the summer. He attempted to leave Turkey for Greece with his family by way of smugglers.
0: So actually, he lost his mom in summer too. His mom drowned in water. They were trying to go illegally from Turkey to Greece and he lost his mom. His mom drowned, Uh, his two, one nephew and one niece drowned too. And his brother's family totally broken. But now they are in Turkey, they deported them to Turkey and they are totally broken and desperate too.
1: Another friend of Peter's recently came under scrutiny for running a house church of Farsi speakers.
0: Every Sunday, the police pops up at his church. They're watching him badly, and he's super scared. Because he's a refugee, he might get a deportation letter.
1: Overall, Peter conveyed a sense of increasing pressure from all directions. Hundreds of thousands of the people who came to Turkey in the last few years expected it to be a short-term stay on their way to somewhere else. Instead, they got bottlenecked. In his view, the U.S. travel ban is only one more route among dozens that have been closing shut ever since the 2016 deal Turkey signed with the EU, an arrangement designed to stem the flow of asylum seekers into Europe in exchange for aid money. But in Peter's view, the travel ban and all it stands for also sets a trend for the global community. Yeah, it's getting
0: more intense. Many people and their refugees are saying because all of them are connected with and related to United States. When the United States shut down the door. It affects whole the globe. It is just way of coming to Turkey and there is no way out, out of the Turkey because yeah, the US is closed right now. Okay, the Canada and Australia will look at the United States, the European country will look at the US. And Turkey has no more choice. What should what can they do? They have to be intense and they have to be really hard on refugees too. In the Farsi, we have a saying the wheels of the power, some stuff must be crushed under that's wheels. For now, it is us.
1: Think of refugee resettlement as a tiny release valve. It will only ever help a small percentage of displaced people. But nonetheless, for that small percentage, it's a vital pathway out of prolonged high-pressure environments. Since 2014, Turkey has amassed the largest displaced population of any country, close to 4 million people. Over the last five years, UNHCR has worked with other countries around the world to resettle an average of 11,000 refugees total out from Turkey each year. In 2014 and 15, the U.S. received about 63% of that total each year. In 2016, 56%. In 2017, 22%. And in 2018, only 2%. That's 163 people total. It's a dramatic shift in the U.S. approach toward the displaced in that region, and it seems set to continue.
0: The refugees community that we have in here, we have a room, and we have a kind of room on the Internet. We are talking about back and force what's going on. We have some channels, and from the beginning of the 2019, all the people who did all their interviews with the U.S. government, they did their DHS interview after two years they are getting their responses. 95% i am being refused from 2019, which is just a certain or 11 days ago. Most of them are being rejected by U.S. government. And all of them are complaining this is not fair. After two years or two and a half years or three years, they are telling us no. They are saying that, okay, maybe we might go illegally to Greece or something like that in summer when the weather gets warmer.
1: As of the day we spoke, Peter hadn't received any updates on his own process or his mother's. So they continue to wait.
3: I think of like my parents getting older and my niece and nephew growing up and not really knowing us and I find myself questioning God a lot. Like, really God, this is your perfect plan. This is how you're gonna work all things together for your good. Like it it just doesn't make sense in my in my human mind. There's a psalm, Psalm 27, somewhere in it, it says um, something like, I would would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Yes, we have lots of promises for eternal life with the Lord, but also He is here with us, and He's walking with us, and He's crying with us, and He sees us here on earth too.
1: In Episode 3, you met Dariush. His father left Afghanistan for Iran as a refugee during the Soviet-Afghan War. After 20 years in Iran, the family tried returning to Afghanistan for a brief time when Dariush was a teenager, but it proved too unstable. So they returned to Iran, then eventually on to the country where I met him in November 2017. He'd been living there for 10 years with little support from NGOs, no path to citizenship, and no hope for formal resettlement.
4: And after these 10 years living in here, still, I don't have any place where I could say, yes, this is my home.
1: In the summer of 2018, after trying every option he could think of to leave his host country legally, he decided to leave on a prayer of reaching the West. But the journey required him to pass back through Afghanistan for some paperwork and documents.
4: Because I'm just tired of just sitting here and waiting and there is no other way for me to do. Yeah, I have to do that. Other doesn't matter
1: is it's dangerous or not. As of early January 2019, he's stuck in Kabul, waiting.
4: There is not that much update about me, but unfortunate events happened. <clears throat> like, I get sick a lot in here, and I injured and re- tore my right side, pectoral muscle, too. We don't know, we don't have any idea what will happen next week contact to senators and they said they will contact to the embassy and they did but unfortunately it wasn't be helpful too. Hey Jacob, sorry I just fell asleep last night and I couldn't answer your message. Yeah, everything is fine. I live in our home like which is belongs to my grandfather in Kabul so... Thank God it wasn't hard to find a place for live, that was nice. And about working, no, I do not work now, just I do help people, we have just class in home and I help them, some of them, to how to read and write. This is the only things I do useful.
1: Civilian casualties and injuries have been on a steady increase in Afghanistan since 2009. In the last three years, 28,000 police and government soldiers have been killed, and the government only controls about half the country. In December, the Trump administration announced a plan to withdraw half of U.S. forces from Afghanistan, a move that got the whole world talking. But Dariush's messages focus mostly on his day-to-day rituals of surviving and waiting
4: but unfortunately internet is not that much good to be able to play online so i play online uh, offline games too and i finished finish couple games far cry 5 evil villain what was the other one ghost recon wildland i finished yeah and i was able to watch tv shows like daredevil and punisher and i waiting for new
1: season of Punisher, I think January 18, it will start. Scrolling through a Facebook group with about 80,000 members called Kabul Security Now gives a sense of the day-to-day safety concerns of people in that city. January 14, 2019, a truck bomb explodes in Green Village. December 25, 2018, armed attack and explosion at a government building. November 28th, Taliban claims a suicide attack and gunfire at a security facility south of Kabul. November 18th, suicide bombing kills 40 at a hotel during a religious ceremony. November 12th, suicide bombing in front of a high school. If Dariush has seen any of this violence directly during his time in Kabul, it only shows up in the shadowy edges of what he chooses to share.
4: The most thing which hurting me in here is just when I go outside and see People have a lots of problems. You see a lots of small kids outside, which they don't have any good clothes on. You see that people has to walk outside with the slippers in this snow, and yeah, it's really bad to see that. And you cannot, I cannot do that much for all of them. You know, it's really hard, and it's made me really feel sad about that and it broke my feelings.
1: The Afghan diaspora numbers in the millions and is spread across at least 70 countries. For those who find their way to Turkey or to Western countries, another set of challenges waits. Dariush sent me a link to an Afghan rap artist writing from Europe who goes by the name Shayan Aryan. He helped translate English subtitles for one of Cheyenne's music videos. The track's called
0: Heart to Heart.
5: In the video, a young
1: Afghan man searches for under the table work in Europe. His mom calls from home asking him to send money because his father was injured in a bombing. But he's too ashamed to tell her he's homeless and can't find a job. In the end, a police officer wakes the man from sleep, handcuffs him, and leads him into a police station. Dariush's translation of the song's final verses reads like this. It's laughable that after so many years, I still don't have a normal life. It's laughable that after so many years, I still don't have a right to stay. Afghan means suffering, always being a refugee. It means your home burned in Tabriz and Koshan. Afghan means you don't have help from your own embassy. Afghan means no one sits by your deathbed. Maybe one day will come when I can laugh at my yesterdays, Maybe one day will come when we reach all our goals. Maybe one day will come when everyone can rest in peace. Maybe that moment will be when I sleep forever and everything is over. Like Roman's piano song, Cheyenne's Lament reminds us that it takes more than facts or even stories for people who have never been displaced to listen with empathy to those who have. Sometimes we have to feel it in melodies
5: and beats and rhymes. to join Madayo, کلش خانی معتو میده تا دست نده نمیه هغیرات شاید روزی برسه که بدی روزم کنم خنده شاید روزی برسه که همه راستی به مقصد شاید روزی برسه که دوست باشم خامه راحت شاید روز مرجم باشم آنانات زمان ساعت بیا شنابش کدی صادقیم هرچند هم روح بودی کدی گپویم
1: In Episode 9, we'll move from sending countries and countries of asylum to what has traditionally been the largest receiving country for resettled refugees, the United States. We'll dig deeper into some policy questions from a U.S. perspective, and we'll stop in at the Refugee Highway Partnership North America's annual roundtable held last October in Chicago. All names and some identifying details in this episode were changed or omitted, and participants were informed about how their voices would be shared. This series of Beyond Soundbites was created in collaboration with the Refugee Highway Partnership North America, a network of churches, ministries, and individuals supporting refugees and asylum seekers across the U.S. and Canada. Other organizational partners include the Refugee Language Program, Exodus World Service, Tucson Refugee Ministry, Global Community Partners, and Abounding Service. Laura Sackett provided editorial input. Brett Ratliff mixed the episode. John and Valerie Guerra created the theme music. The rest of the songs are by Chris Dingman, except for Heart to Heart, which was used with permission by the artist. You can hear more of his songs under Cheyenne Arian on YouTube.